This is Plausibly Live. Well, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today, most of them far beyond our control, you might say. So perhaps it's time we took a pause and thought about life, thought about the laws of gravity, balloons, blackbirds, poetry, espionage, politics, and the news. Don't touch that dial, just hear me out for a little while. Back in the 1940s, during World War II, the United States was the unfortunate victim of a dastardly attack by the Japanese Empire. What do I mean? Well, the Japanese came up with this idea of attaching bombs to balloons. And then they released the balloons filled with hydrogen, which as we all know is flammable and explosive. And they flew the balloons across the Pacific Ocean using the trade winds. They actually kind of went up north by Alaska and then down. Some of the balloons were spotted and shot down. Some of them simply crashed. Some of them penetrated quite deep into the United States. And one of them fell in Oregon, where an unsuspecting family happened to come across it. And as later investigation would show, they probably kicked it. It detonated and killed much of the family. One of those weird historical coincidences, I was at a funeral a few years ago, back during COVID, as a matter of fact, up in Squim. No, it was outside of Port Angeles, Washington. It was just outside of Port Angeles, Washington. And apparently one of the people who was killed in this attack is buried there. And the local history person was pointing that out to me, and I thought, well, that's weird. Given that we are the only country that has been successfully attacked by balloons, shouldn't we be a little more irate, a little little more mm, about this Chinese balloon that's flying over us right now? Look, I'm not even sure I want to get into this because this story moves really fast. And by the time you hear this on demand radio show, this story might be over. It might be blown away. I don't know. I'm not sure I want to get into it for that reason. But at the same time, I feel like we have to. The balloon is obviously a spy device. I mean, everybody's pretty clear on that from the stuff that's dangling from it in the photographs. It's been traveling for days over Alaska, Canada, and now, as I record this, it's over Montana. By the time you hear this, it might be somewhere else. It might be in North Dakota already, for all I know. We know that it's been traveling for days. I assume, (laughs) yes, I know what that means, that we, the United States government, has known about it for days. And I assume, yes, I know what it means, that we have been monitoring the situation. But now, today, tonight, 
last night, day before, afternoon, you know how it goes. It's like there's some kid from Colorado that climbed aboard it and, and it flew off with him aboard and every news every news agency in the country is chasing this this damn balloon. There are pictures on the internet, I've seen them, of the balloon, and then there are pictures of F-22 Raptors, I assume, with a tanker that are chasing it. And it's like we're all just sitting around going, what do we do? We don't know what to do. We have summoned the Chinese ambassador, which is a diplomatic way of saying, we're kind of pissed off at you, and we'd like an explanation as to what the hell you're doing. But in the big scheme of things, A, do you think the ambassador even knew? And B, what's he going to say? Well, look, we launched a balloon. It's a, it's a scientific device, and the winds take it where it's going to go. I mean, we can't control the wind. The second question, the one that everybody's asking, is why aren't we shooting it down? Why don't we just you know, poke a hole in it, and there you go. Well, I think there are actually a couple of reasons why we're not doing that. Number one, this thing apparently has highly sensitive spy tech aboard it, and we'd like to have that spy tech. So if you just shoot it down, it may not land where you want it to land, and it may break something. So we're trying, I assume, again, I know what it means, to figure out a way to catch that. We used to do this all the time. We used to send spy satellites into space. They would take their pictures, and then the, the, the satellite would come back, the, the canister, the film canister would pop out, parachute would pop out, and B seven old B-17s and B-29s and C-130s with specially equipped nose tech. You can see one of these in a James Bond flick. There's a James Bond flick, um, You Only Live Twice, Mr. Bond. At the end of it, where the B-17 flies by, and it's got the little thing on the nose, and it catches the, it hooks the, the thing, and off you go. You've, you've caught it. And so I assume that we're trying to figure out how to do that again, because, you know, we haven't done it in a long time. I think the last successful capture like that was in the 70s, some point. So once we figure that out, I mean, we got time. It's moving, you know, with the wind, so it's going to be around for a while. And... Once we figure that out, maybe that's when we shoot it down. The other concern, of course, is if you shoot it down, it might land on people here in the United States. And were that to happen, of course, it would be uh, tragic. Chinese balloons landing on people could be, a, could be a problem, and nobody really wants that to happen. So maybe that's why we haven't shot it down. In fact, that's what the government is saying. This is why we have not shot it down. This is going to be a diplomatic incident. There's no two ways about that. But again, it's it's the spy business, folks. I mean, we we do this. We fly satellites over people. We fly airplanes over people. I'm wondering, you know, I mean, how how good can we know how good the cameras are in satellites? Why would you send a balloon? 
because again, literally the, the instant the balloon gets into our radar cup, you're going to know it's there. It's not like it's going to hide. It's a huge radar signature up there. So why would you do this other than to gauge how we would react to it? I mean, that's the only thing I can figure. But at the same time, once again, it's it's got everybody up in arms. It's got the whole news media chasing this thing like it's like it's a balloon with a little kid on it in Colorado. And at the same time, it almost feels like yet another distraction, doesn't it? Oh my God, the Chinese balloon. What? What are you talking about? No, the Chinese balloon. It might land on somebody. They're spying on us. They're spying on us, say the people who are posting videos of the Chinese spy balloon on TikTok. Look, they're spying on us. I don't know how this story is going to end. I, I have no idea. I know it moves so fast that by the time you hear this, the story may already be over. I don't know. But stay tuned because this ain't over yet. That balloon's still got a ways to go. And when it gets where it's going, wherever that ends up being, then I guess we'll move on to the next thing, right? Hey there, submarine fans. Let me talk to you about the most exciting thing in currency, the goldback from goldback.com. Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution says that states are actually legal to create currency as long as they are made of gold and silver. And now there are states doing just that by legalizing and making their own currency using, you got it, gold and silver. The exciting news is the subvet.com is now an authorized dealer to purchase your gold backs right on our website. Be sure to email me at eric at the subvet.com or you can call me at 720-277-9333. Be sure to check out the gold backs on the subvet.com and then get ready to secure your family and future with the power of fractional gold currency. Get your gold back from the subvet. Welcome back. When I started Constitution Thursday, January 10th, 2010, I said this, I'm trying to remember, I know I said it multiple times on the air, and I've said it multiple times since then, but one of the biggest philosophical questions in my mind is, I couldn't get my head around the fact that two people can look at exactly the same words on a page and come to polar opposite conclusions about what they mean. I could not figure that out. I I didn't understand it. It's like, well, what do you mean you read it a different way? What do you mean? Is it the inflection? Is it the grammar? I, I couldn't figure it out. And for years, it's bothered me. When I was a senior in high school, one of my favorite teachers, Mrs. Lucetta Thompson, who was one of the two teachers who, for whatever reason, seemed to get me. I had her for creative writing. My sister, my younger sister, had her for English. And she was just a dear, dear old woman. In fact, as a quick aside, the day I graduated, I had skipped school to go enlist in the Navy. 
Well, what I didn't know was if you skip school, you didn't graduate. And when I got to the, the auditorium for the graduation, Mrs. Thompson was there and they were giving me, the, the staff was, you have an unexcused absence today. Where were you? And she came over and said, Dave, where were you? I said, I was enlisting in the United States Navy. And if that means I don't graduate, well, then that means I don't graduate. And she, Mrs. Thompson, turned around to the staff there and said, give him his gown, give him his hat, cap. And I graduated. Mrs. Thompson was a very, very dear soul. And she was one of the few people in my life who seemed to understand one of the most basic motivations that I have. And I don't say this to you braggishly. I don't say this to you. You just need to understand me. I am my own worst critic. Believe me. Something isn't right. Something doesn't make sense. I know long before you do. Moreover, I'm the kind of person that will beat myself up about it until I fix it. Especially if I didn't really try. If I just sort of skated through something and it turned out, eh, then I'm really mad at myself because I know I can do better. And there were many assignments where Mrs. Thompson would hand me my paper back ungraded. And she would say to me, Dave, you can do better. At one point, we were studying in this creative writing course, poetry. Now look, poetry is something that I'm not sure why it gets the reputation it does today. It should get, should, Julius Caesar was a poet. He was, if he hadn't conquered Rome, he would have gone down in history as one of the greatest poets of all time. Men used to write poetry. And we used to do it very well. And it was a way of expressing ourselves. I've written poetry. I wrote song lyrics for many years. I, I wrote poetry while I was in, obviously in school. I wrote it all through all the time while I was in the Navy. It was a, it was a way of releasing things and a way of sharing feelings and emotions that I didn't necessarily want to share. But I was forcing myself to do it. As part of this course in poetry, as part of the study in poetry, she gave us multiple poems. We had Shakespearean sonnets, and we had, you know, whatever that iambic pentameter and all that nonsense. But she handed us a poem one day by Wallace Stevens. And I'm going to tell you that having read the poem that day in class, as I recall, it was a January day, 1981. In fact, I know it was a January one day, January day, because it was right around the time that the Columbia launched. And I had skipped a day of school because of that. I actually ended up skipping two days of school for that, but anyway, because they scrubbed it. Anyway, she handed us this poem. The poem is called 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. And I'm going to tell you right now that my read of this poem in 1981 was that this poem was literally the dumbest thing ever put on paper. It consists of 13 stanzas, as, as you will. They're free-form verses, which I don't mind. Free-form is fine. But here, I'm just going to read you a couple of them, okay? Number one. Among 20 snowy mountains, the only thing moving was the eye of the blackbird. Number two. 
I was of three minds. This is the second stanza. I was of three minds, like a tree, in which there are three blackbirds. A man and a woman are one. A man and a woman and a blackbird are one. And the only one of these stanzas at the time that even made any sense to me at all was this one. I do not know which to prefer, the beauty of inflections or the beauty of innuendos. This has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. The blackbird whistling or just after. We, she went around the room and asked for our initial impressions of the poem and I poo-pooed it. I didn't think much of it. I thought it was cheesy. I thought it was commercial. And at the same time, I thought it was just stupid. I really did. And I didn't, I really didn't give it its just due. I didn't even really think that deeply about it. But the assignment following this was we were to write a poem in a similar vein. And Mrs. Thompson never really explained to us what that vein was, nor did I obviously understand it. So we had to write this poem. And I, <laughs> my poem was, I, I actually handed it in, 13 ways of reading stupid crap. And I fully expected that poem to be handed back to me with the standard, Dave, you can do better. And so when I got the page handed back to me, I was surprised when across the top of it was written, excellent, A+. plus." All I did was make fun of your poem. I, and when she saw my reaction, she looked at me and she said, you don't understand it, but you get it. That was in 1981, folks, 42 years ago, and I've never forgotten that moment. And yet at the same time, I find myself asking that question. How can two people look at the exact same words on a page and come to totally opposite conclusions? And yet here was this poem, 13 Ways to Look at a Blackbird. A bird with 13 lessons in it. I'm sitting in Torah class last night, and it's mentioned that the sages have taught that there are 13 ways to pull an exegesis, a hermetical outline, if you will, to seek and to extract from any given verse in Scripture. And I wrote on my notes, and I can show it to you, it's down there, but I can show it to you. There's no way that that's a coincidence. And I wrote on my page, 13 ways to look at a blackbird. Wait. And I underlined it. To give you an example of what they're talking about, just a, just a simple example. In Psalms, the book of Psalms, the 61st chapter, the 8th verse, King David writes these words, May he dwell forever before God. Kindness and truth shall be summoned to guard him. 
Now, that's a pretty simple thing to see, isn't it? You read that on the surface and you go, well, okay. It's a wish, a prayer, a blessing for a person to dwell forever for God and kindness and truth shall be summoned to always guard his ways. Right? But what if you take a big rock, you get a sledgehammer, and you swing that hammer and you break that rock, and it shatters. What do you got? It's still the same rock. It's still literally the same thing in essence. But now you have hundreds, if not thousands, of different ways of looking at that rock, don't you? The The reality of Hebrew is that it doesn't come with vowel marks. So imagine, if you will, my name, David. In Hebrew, it would literally be spelled in English, transliteration, DVD. And you would have no way of knowing what vowels go in there. Maybe it's an A, maybe it's an I, maybe it's no. Dovad? Duvid? Maybe there's a Y. Who knows? You don't actually know what vowels go in there, except from the traditions that have been handed down for thousands of years. And because there are no actual vowel markages in there, Some of those words sometimes have multiple meanings. And in fact, if you change a couple of the vowels in that word, in that verse, Psalm 68.1, sorry, then you get this interpretation of that same verse. May the world be settled before God. Who will keep kindness and truth? Now, you read that on the initial phrase, and you go, well, David means the same thing. No, doesn't. Now, all of a sudden, you have, instead of a blessing, a wish, a hope for the future to be dwelling forever before God with kindness and truth summoned to guard you, now you have a conversation between David and God. With God, with David asking, may the world be settled before God. Another way of translating that is, may the world be fair before God. Why, God, why isn't your world fair? Why is your world unbalanced? Why are there rich and poor? Why not make them all the same? Wouldn't that be more loving and kindness? And God's response is, who will keep kindness and truth? If everyone is rich or poor, if everyone is the same, God is saying, who would show kindness to someone else? Who would have any reason to be kind to someone else? Now, believe me, I know what's going through your head because it was going through my head. You should see my notepad from last night, scribbles and wood. Wait. <laughs> and I was so frustrated with it. What do you mean we can read this, dude? How, how do we know that we can do that? You'd never get that in the English versions of this unless you have the Hebrew in front of you. You'd never, ever understand that. And I don't speak Hebrew. How am I ever supposed to pull this out of here? Well, it turns out, 
That's what the sages have already done for thousands of years. All I got to do is read it, study it, and apply it. But I was confused. Couldn't figure out the answer to a simple question. How do you know which one of those two is right? Quote, unquote. And I asked that question. How do I know which of these two is correct? The rabbi looked at me, and he said with a smile on his face, a gentle smile. I love my rabbi. He's, he's an amazing person. And he said, and he's Israeli, so he has a very heavy accent. He said, Dave, they're both right. It's like the rock that we were talking about that we shattered. They're both right. There's more than one meaning in a verse. And you have to be attuned to understanding these things. You have to, you have to understand how to look at things differently without really changing anything because you can't change Torah. But the Torah doesn't have the vowel marks. You got to add those in, see? And I looked down at my paper in front of me, and in huge letters on my page, 13 ways to look at a blackbird. And I finally, for the first time in 42 years, understood what Mrs. Thompson was saying to me. I didn't get it then, but I understood it. There are different ways to look at things. And just because I look at a blackbird one way doesn't mean somebody else can't look at it a different way. The river is moving. He wrote, the blackbird must be flying. I looked at a blackbird, maybe I wouldn't see it that way. But when we look deeply into pretty much everything, we see that there's more to it than what we see on the surface. And when we break it apart and we begin to study it in detail, we get more things than just a giant rock. We can see very easily that two people can look at the same thing, the exact same thing, and come to completely opposite conclusions as to what it means. And that should encourage us not to be more divisive, but to be more understanding and to be more willing to open our own minds to the idea that there may be other ways of looking at things. And when you're willing to do that, that's when we begin to move forward as people, isn't it? When I don't have to be right about everything, when maybe there's another interpretation of things. I'm not saying we change our entire personality. That's not what I'm saying. But if we can all accept that there's different people seeing different things in different ways. 13 ways to see a blackbird, 13 ways of interpreting scripture. I don't know. It was an eye-opening evening, and it seems to me that a mystery that had bothered me for 42 years, 42 years, I finally had an answer. And now I understand why I got an A+, because though I didn't really understand what I was doing, I was doing exactly what 
should have been done. I was looking at things differently. And I was willing to get outside myself and look at those things differently. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there, so don't pass up those opportunities. Don't want to have that regret. Plausibly Live, I'm Dave Bowman. See you on Sunday for What the Frock with Rod. Have a great weekend, everybody. Keep your uh, helmets on in case that Chinese balloon lands on you. And really, take a few moments to read to see things maybe differently. Maybe find 13 ways to see something differently and see if it opens up uh, channels for being a little more happy. See you on Monday, every, or Sunday, everybody, and then back on Monday. Monday.